Star Wars 7x7 episode 1903. Today we're continuing our look at the stories of Star Wars Myths and Fables by George Mann. Today we're digging into the Black Spire stuff and also a character that we know all too well. Punch it! Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode where we are going to continue our look at the myths and fables of George Mann. And today we are focusing on the Black Spire stories. So of course in the PR materials that came out before Myths and Fables was released, we found out that two of the stories in this book were going to focus on Batu and Black Spire Outpost. And so those are the two that we're going to talk about today, along with one other one that features a prequel trilogy character. And we'll get to that one after the break. That's coming up later in the show. For now, though, we're going to talk about the Black Spire, which is the first of two stories that appears in Star Wars Myths and Fables. And I will tell you that this has the potential of being a full spoiler podcast. I'm sure we're going to spoil some plot points here. So if you don't want it spoiled for you, then save this episode for a later date. But if you're okay with me diving in, then let's dive in. So Black Spire is the story of a single mother with four kids, and these four kids don't want to listen to her despite warnings and bad things happen when kids don't heed warnings from their parents. This is one of the uh, <laughs> additional bits of information that you can glean from these myths and fables, not unlike the myths and fables of our own world, but <laughs> be that as it may. The four children are not supposed to go to the Surabat River Valley to play because it is a very dangerous place, according to the mother, who once had a husband and the husband is since gone, and yet the kids aren't going to listen. So the oldest is a boy and there are three younger sisters. They go off to play hide and seek and the boy apparently finds such a good hiding place that they can't even find him until then they really can't find him. And so that becomes a bit of a problem. And so one by one, the other two younger sisters have to go to try to find out what might have happened to First the brother, and then the middle sister has to go find out what happened not only to the brother, but to the oldest sister. And then, of course, you get down to Anya, who is the youngest and last remaining sister. Yeah, this isn't going well, to say the least. Once again, as we talked about yesterday, the supernatural intercedes, although I would say this version of the supernatural is a little bit more muted by comparison because, for one thing, the power to solve the problem is not put in the hands of this supernatural entity. It's actually put into the hands of Anya herself. But it does share a little bit in common with, say, the Wanderer, for example, and also the Knight and the Dragon, somebody who is depicted as having long brown robes and a beard and, uh, you know, just very kindly and, and warm and somebody you could trust immediately, like that kind of vibe. So very Jedi-like vibe. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that this has to have been a Jedi. Again, if we were just to play the game of wondering, well, how much of this story is based in reality? It doesn't necessarily have to be a Jedi. It could simply be 
a matter of how stories have grown about Jedi over the years and over the course of time, people who may not have encountered the Jedi might be aware of you know, brown robe figures that went around the galaxy that were very nice and helped people out. And so maybe just that's a common mindset situation for people. That's just, you know, what they assume, just like we assume that, you know, angels are, you know, some sort of supernatural beings clothed in white, you know, that sort of situation. Anyway, so different kind of thing from The Knight and the Dragon in that, uh, and um, The Wanderer in that the power is actually being given to Anya and the inspiration is being given to her to be able to solve the problem. One of the things that gets said by this man in the brown robes is that uh, she is small and no one will suspect her of doing great things, which does remind one of the Lord of the Rings and uh, how Gandalf looked at the hobbits and thought that you know, some extraordinary things could happen with these little folk. And indeed, that is ultimately what happens. It turns out that there is a terrible person named Sampa Grot who is on the planet Batu making a bunch of people, you know, slave away and Anya's siblings have been captured and are employed amongst them. And so the rest of the story tells Anya's efforts to be able to learn what's going on and find a way to you know, get to Sampa Grot and figure out how to get her siblings back. And ultimately, you know, well... <laughs> I know I've said we're in spoiler territory. I'm not going to spoil everything for you, but I will say that as far as this story goes, it's not, I mean, maybe it's possible. I haven't seen it yet, and I've looked around also, and I haven't seen any indications, but there's nothing that really seems to clearly indicate where on the canon timeline, if this were to be imagined as a real event, uh, where on the canon timeline it might have taken place. There's not necessarily any particular clue as to whether this could be, you know, prequel era, original trilogy era, sequel era, or, you know, even further one way or the other. It's kind of timeless in that regard. The same cannot be said for the story Chasing Ghosts, which is the final story in the book and also the second story for Black Spire. It involves a scoundrel named Misuk who has apparently reneged on a deal with a nefarious crime boss and is on the run. There's a bounty hunter who is chasing him and he can't seem to shake her. She has managed to follow him far and wide. They even had a little dust up on the planet Lothal, but ultimately he managed to get away. He's on Batuu now, but figures that she's got to be hot on his heels, and so the only way that he can think of to possibly throw her off the scent is to give her something else to chase. And so he decides to go into Oga's Cantina and tell a story to end all stories. And so this story in Myths and Fables actually gets sort of meta in its way because it is a story about someone telling a story about, you know, a myth, basically. It's a myth that he's making up on the spot, although he's probably been considering it for the couple of days that he's been on Batu. But as I mentioned before I started talking about this story, you can place this one on the timeline to some degree because he talks about this invented character, Arkel, as being someone who was born after the fall of the Empire. So you know that this has to be taking place after 4 ABY. So at least it eliminates some of the timeline. But as far as, you know, where in there, well, yeah, that's still a lot of time. And there's not necessarily anything else that gives you an 
outer boundary on the other side, per se, because, for example, if First Order troops were walking around on Batuu at the time, well, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that this Myths and Fables story would have had to say that. They might be walking around there. They might not be walking around there. All we know for sure is that it happens after 4ABY, and that at least narrows things down a bit, or at least that's... That seems to be when Misuk is present there because he's telling that story and if he has some awareness of the fall of the Empire, you get what I'm getting at. And he spins this tale of Arkel as an amazing thief who has been spotted and traced all across the galaxy and he himself, now Misuka is going to try and convince everybody that he also is a bounty hunter who has plans to capture this Arkel. And after spinning this amazing tale about Arkel and all of her exploits, he says, here's the kicker. She was spotted on Batuu two days ago. And so naturally, because Black Spire Outpost is full of scoundrels and ne'er-do-wells, Many of them are all starting to obsess about the possibility that Arkel could be in their midst, and even news feeds are starting to pick up these rumors and reporting on them, so it becomes rather a big deal. And the bounty hunter, MMI, who is pursuing Misuk, decides, yeah, you know, I'm trying to make my bones as a bounty hunter. It's said in the story that she's comparatively new to the craft, and so she wants to do as well as possible at it. But, you know, once she gets word that there is a new and potentially more lucrative bounty available in the area, then she sort of leaves off on her pursuit of Misuk, and Misuk is able to plot a course into wild space and escape and relax. And this story itself is almost a cautionary tale to you and I as readers of Star Wars Myths and Fables, as opposed to some other of the stories in Myths and Fables which seem to be very targeted at kids and warning them, hey, you you know better pay attention to your parents because bad things are going to happen to you if you don't, and there are some crazy evils out in the world that if you aren't minding your parents, then you are in danger from these evils, right? So those morals are rife in myths and fables, but the chasing ghost story is definitely different in that regard. Instead, the moral of this story really seems to be more about being careful about what you believe. And if somebody is telling you a story, then don't necessarily accept it on its face. You should possibly consider the source and what the storyteller's own motivations are for telling that story before you buy into it whole hog, which, you know, like I said, definitely sounds like a bit of a cautionary tale for us and thus, of course, well-placed at the end of this collection of stories. Now, I'm going to take a quick break and I'm going to fly in the face of that moral and warning from George Mann. And we'll talk about another story, The Droid with a Heart, after the break. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Constant Contact, the premier email marketing solution for small businesses and organizations. I've used their service since 2003, and over the past decade and a half, I've watched them evolve, make the product simpler, more powerful, easy to use, and do everything that they can to help train people to use the product more effectively and for it to work with other forms of marketing like social media, for example. So. Check out sw7x7.com slash email to learn more about Constant Contact and start a free trial. Once again, that is sw7x7.com slash email for a free trial. Welcome back. 
So the droid with a heart is a very ironic tale and it happens to be one of my favorites in this whole thing. It is because of the artwork of Grant Griffin clearly about General Grievous, so you know, get that out of the way. And yet, it's called the droid with a heart, but it is not about General Grievous, even though he is literally a droid with a heart, but figuratively it is about the tactical droid that defied General Grievous's orders. And why would he do such a thing? Well, he's been witness to too many B-1 battle droids being massacred at the hands of General Grievous. And now, in a situation where the general is just, you know, victory after victory, but treats the B-1s like cannon fodder, which, you know, they kind of are, but still. Droids, right? They just don't necessarily understand the nature of droids, even though General Grievous seemed to want to emulate being a droid and replaced his organic parts with inorganic parts, with droid parts to become more droid-like, he still somehow didn't quite get it, basically, and the tactical droid had had enough. So they were setting up for an assault on a Republic stronghold on the planet Alamas, and the tactical droid has, you know, knowledge of what the deployment plan is going to be. There's only one way that it's going to work that they can take back this stronghold, but it is going to require the deaths of thousands upon thousands of B-1 battle droids to make it happen. And he just can't stand by and let it happen just so the general can have another victory. So the tactical droid, knowing full well what it was doing, violates its programming and creates a situation where instead of a separatist victory that costs the lives of thousands upon thousands of battle droids, instead it's a blown up plan where, comparatively speaking, only a few battle droids end up getting trashed, but it's a separatist loss, which is very embarrassing for the general. They have to retreat and the Republic is able to dig in on that stronghold. The tactical droid, well, you know, knows it's coming and Grievous doesn't know if it's an incompetence thing or a treason thing, assumes that it's an incompetence thing because despite the fact that he wants to be more like a droid, he doesn't really understand droids and so he naturally slashes up this tactical droid in a fit of pique. But the other droids, it says here, the tactical droid was beyond repair but its remains were fed into the recycler and became part of many thousands of new droids, each of them carrying a small piece of it inside themselves. It was never forgotten, and tales of its bravery were whispered through the data links and networks of the droids until, eventually, the story passed into droid legend, and all who heard it were proud to be droids. And there you go, that's the deal with the droid with a heart. Not Grievous, ironically, and that is also it for our episode today as well. Thank you so much for joining me for it, as always. And may the Force be with you, wherever in the world you may be. This podcast is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other related Star Wars items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the Force be with them. All original content is copyright 2019 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.